This morning I'm going to ask you to join me back in Ephesians chapter 5. For some time we've been in the portion of this epistle to use the words of John Trapp where he says our knowledge and our obedience should be running parallel to one another. And that's a good thought to have in your mind as you read through Paul's epistles. Your knowledge of what he is saying as he is informing your mind doctrinally your standing with Jesus Christ and then your obedience should be making equal progress it's when those things get out of balance where we really fall into trouble and get ourselves into one of two ditches the legalistic performance of works zeal without knowledge the form of godliness with no power or we get into the other ditch of what is called antinomianism where there is no law to bring balance to the Christian life. And so, Lord willing, as we progress and make our way through the book of Ephesians, as we finish out chapters 5 and 6, our knowledge and our obedience will keep pace with one another to the glory of God. So if you'll begin reading with me in verse 8, down through verse 14. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit of light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Let's pray. Father, we are praying that even now you, through Christ, would give us light. Light to understand these verses in the way that you have given them to us. Lord, help our knowledge and obedience to be on the same plane. Come alongside of us and help us, we pray, for Christ's sake. And we pray and ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. So let me give you a map of sorts to chart the course of where we're going to go this morning. First, In the first few verses of this paragraph, we're going to see that Paul has told us that we have come out of the domain of darkness into the domain of light. And secondly, he tells us, based upon this fact, that we are to live in the light. And then lastly, he tells us what our relationship as being light in the Lord should be to the unfruitful works of darkness. And there are really two things there at that last point. And I'll I'll confess to you, I'm tempted really to jump to this last point and just spend spend our time here together this morning with this, but we're going to work our way down to it. The two aspects of this last point of how we relate to the unfruitful works of darkness is number one, have nothing to do with them. Number two, expose them. So Lord helping us, we'll get there. 
But first, let's look at the transferring from darkness to light. You'll notice verse 8 begins, carries over from the seventh verse that says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So it's probably going to be helpful for us since many of you last week were sick and weren't here and for me even to go back and to read these verses that come just before what Paul is telling us here in verses 8 through 14. If you go back to the third verse, Paul says, actually let's go back to the first verse of chapter 5 to get the whole context. We're told in verse 1 to be imitators of God to mimic him in especially this area of loving one another, to walk in love. Then he tells us in the third verse, to the far opposite extreme, to not have anything named among us. He uses these words, fornication, all uncleanness, We said last week, any sexual perversion that you can think of fits in these verses. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. But he doesn't just deal with our deeds, he deals with our speech when he says in verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then the dire warning here, let no one deceive you with empty words. Why? Because too much is at stake. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now the reasoning is given in verse 8. Why are we not to have any participation with either the works or the workers of the unfruitful works of darkness? Well, verse 8 tells us because we have come from darkness to light. Look at the words. For you, and this again is plural. This isn't just speaking to individual Christian. It is speaking to all Christians. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Note the contrasts that Paul uses. He speaks of what we once were and what we now are. He speaks of darkness and he speaks of light. This concept of darkness as compared to light is used throughout the scriptures to illustrate to us the difference of sin and being in sin and righteousness and being in a righteous standing before God. So the contrasts here cannot be any greater. And there is one verse in particular that I think points to this perhaps greater than any other verse in the Scriptures. And I'm going to ask you to turn to it. It's in Colossians chapter 1, and it's in verse 13. And you'll remember that Colossians itself is a summarized or condensed version of the book of Ephesians. If you take broad categories and you outline them in very broad terms, you can almost identify each section in Colossians with 
the sections, corresponding sections in the book of Ephesians. So look with me at this 13th verse, Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. What, th- what verse 13 has in mind here, and some of your translations even go so far as to use the word, you and I now as believers have been rescued. I believe the New American Standard uses that term. We have been rescued out of darkness and conveyed or transferred or translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love, Jesus Christ. This is what is in view in Paul's mind when we go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. The reason that we as believers have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness and do not participate in the activity or the speech of the sons of disobedience is because God in mercy, God in love, made you and me, made us as the people of God the special objects of His mercy and as it were reached down and moved us from darkness into light. And now we are to walk in that light. So the things that are, that are given to us in verses 3 down through verse 7, the activity and the speech of the sons of disobedience for which the wrath of God is coming and in a very real sense has already come upon them, the reason is that we should not participate in them is because we have been moved out of that realm. We no longer move in that sphere. We've been moved to a different location. Our very lives, not just the environment in which we live, but our very lives have been changed from darkness to light. And notice the wording. Paul is very specific. He does does not say, you were once in darkness. He says, you once were darkness. And the opposite is also true. He does not say, now you are in light. He says, now you are light. This is the drastic nature of conversion. Everything made new. God has not just cleaned us up a little bit and knocked off the rough edges. He has totally borne us anew. That's why Jesus in his conversation with Nicodemus says, you must be born again. And we are light in the Lord, not by any virtue of deeds that we have performed, but by virtue of our union with the light of the world. Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world back in John chapter 8 in verse 12. So it's important that we keep this right in our minds. We are now light in the Lord and we are to walk as children of light. No longer as children of darkness. So what does it mean to walk as children of light? I want you to have a a large view of the book of Ephesians. 
from this verse to the end of chapter 6, Paul tells us how to walk as children of light. I've said before that in the last three verses of Ephesians, there are more practical commands than in any other book in the New Testament. Things that we are unequivocally told to do and to be as being Christian. And all of these stand in stark contrast to those who are darkness. We have every relationship addressed. We have every thought addressed. Nothing is left to the imagination. The Spirit of God has been thorough in telling us how to walk as children of light. And so what we're looking at this morning is the very beginnings of how to walk as children of light. Notice that just following this, there is a parenthesis in verse 8, or excuse me, verse 9, consists of a parenthesis. And it tells us the fruit of the Spirit, most of your translations say the fruit of light is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So everything that follows in the remaining part of chapter 5 and chapter 6 falls into this Overall summary, these three moral qualities of being goodness, righteousness, and truth. And it's important that we live in light of these things. Now, sometimes, well-intentioned, I, I understand, we speak of living the gospel. You ever use that phrase, that we're going to live the gospel? There's only one person that's ever lived the gospel, Right? Jesus Christ. You and I live in light of the gospel. We live in light of what he has done for us. And so these verses teach us not only the practical aspects of living in a darkened world, because that is one of the principles that come out of the scripture. Jesus makes it very clear and very plain that we are not to withdraw from the culture around us we are to remain in it and seek by our actions and by the words which we speak that correspond to the gospel to transform it. To shine as light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation is the way Paul phrases it in the book of Philippians. So let's look at these three broad categories of what the fruit of light should be in us. What the fruit of what fruit should be growing on a Christian? Now, I understand the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, there's a longer list. And I think that's partially why in the King James and the New King James, the word here is translated as Spirit. But most of your versions and translations are going to see this as being the fruit of the light. Number one, it consists in goodness. It's a very general term covers a lot of ground, it's very broad, but I think we can go back to the 10th verse of the second chapter where it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You can think of goodness as being your relationship to those around you. You are operating now in this sphere and the light that is in you is producing this fruit of goodness. 
We've had long conversation the past two or three weeks in our first hour concerning good works, the production of them, the maintenance of them. This is what is in view here in this word goodness. The fruit of light is in all goodness, but also in righteousness. You can think of this term as defining your relationship not to those around you, but to the Lord himself. And both of these correspond to the 24th verse of chapter 4, which says we are to put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness or goodness. So the light that is in us is producing goodness, righteousness, and truth. And consider this last term here, the third truth as being the antithesis of falsehood but also the bond that holds all three of these together there is no goodness without truth there is no righteousness without truth truth is essential that's why we appeal so often for the spirit of truth to come alongside of us and to teach us now if you dispense with the parenthesis and you go back to verse 8 and you read verse 8 and then go right into verse 10 it reads like this walk as children of light finding out what is acceptable to the Lord discerning what is acceptable to the Lord this is the great quest of every Christian isn't it to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. The word here for finding out or discerning in some of your translations is a word that is used to test or to try. As we walk as children of light, we are to test and to try and to see what is acceptable to Him. And aren't we thankful that we have the entirety of the Scriptures to teach us what is acceptable to the Lord. Now, if you want to run backward with me, verse 3, fornication and uncleanness, not acceptable to the Lord. Covetousness, not acceptable to the Lord. Filthiness, foolish talk, coarse jesting, not acceptable to the Lord. But then there are other things where we have to discern if our actions are going to be acceptable to Him. And this runs all the way into the decisions and choices that you make in everyday life. And I think verse 9 gives us great help. Here are the questions that we ask. Is it good? Is it right? Is it true? If you can answer affirmatively to those three questions... Is it good, is it right, and is it true? Then you have discerned what is acceptable to the Lord. You can apply that very broadly to any decision that you have to make. And it will help us to come to the conclusion of finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Now we can get to verse 11. And we can deal with the relationship 
that we as Christians, as light in the Lord, should have to the unfruitful works of darkness. And the responsibility is twofold. First, avoid the darkness. Second, expose the darkness. And you might have a question arise in your mind. How can I both avoid and expose the darkness at the same time? Well, I think the scripture answers that question for us. So look at verse 11. First, the first responsibility or the first duty of a Christian in relation to the unfruitful works of darkness, some of which have been detailed for us in, in verses 3 through 7, are to have no fellowship with them. Now here we have to understand what the word fellowship means. We have a fellowship hall where we have a fellowship meal and we fellowship together in various types of ways. What does that word in its base meaning conveying to us? It means that we have something in common with one another. And that one thing in common that every Christian has is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of Christ's church. Our other interests might be so diverse. Your life and your lifestyle, the things that you love and pursue and work toward and mine can be totally different. So long as they are good, right, and true, can be total opposites. But yet we can come together and have tremendous and great fellowship because of the one uniting factor in our life is that we have fellowship in Christ. So the word at its most, most basic meaning means to have some, some common ground. Some common ground to bring to the table so that you can have conversation and edifying conversation at that. So when we go back to verse 11, we see here that Paul says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Again, have nothing in common with the unfruitful works of darkness. There should be nothing that you have to bring to the table, so to speak, of fellowship with the works or the workers of the unfruitful works of darkness. Of darkness. We are to avoid these unfruitful works. Notice here again another contrast. There is fruit of light, but the darkness has no fruit. It is unfruitful. It does nothing that brings honor and glory to the Lord. The only fruit, if we can say this, the only fruit that darkness bears is fruit of wrath. Punishment and judgment. So that brings us to the second point, and it's here where we'll spend the rest of our time. The second responsibility that we have as being light in the Lord to the unfruitful works of darkness is exposure. Expose them, bringing them to light. The word means to reprove them. But what does Paul mean? It seems like some Christians 
really glory in this verse to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. But what is Paul really saying? And secondly, how do we go about exposing the unfruitful works of darkness? These are questions that should concern all of us and questions that I think these verses answer for us. How do I go about, in obedience to the Scriptures, how do I go about exposing unfruitful works of darkness? I want you to see, first of all, Paul does not run to words. First of all, Paul calls us to expose the unfruitful works of darkness by our lifestyle. Okay? Let me prove it. Go back to verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Again, the word walk has come up over and over and over in the book of Ephesians. It's going to continue to come up. When we get to verse 15, you'll see that it says walk circumspectly. The word walk refers to a lifestyle. A perpetual, present, and moving forward lifestyle that the Christian now has. And we're told to walk as children of light. Part of that is having no fellowship with unfruitful works, but rather exposing them. Let's go on and read verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So the second or third question now that we're asking is how do I expose if I can't even speak about these things? If it's shameful for me to speak of them, how do I then as a Christian expose them? Verse 13 says, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. And then we have a quotation most likely from Psalm 61, verse 1, or some would say from an early Christian hymn, possibly sung at a Christian's baptism, which says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The first and primary way that you and I as Christians expose the unfruitful works of darkness is to live in stark contrast to them. Perhaps you have this in your life. Some people are uncomfortable around you. And in that sense, there is an exposing of unfruitful works. And this is first and foremost done just by your life, the way that you live the way that you speak, the way that you treat your wife, the way that you treat your husband, how you interpret the world around you, how you handle difficulty, how you handle illness and sickness, how you operate with a renewed mind. And this is what I think Peter has in mind when he says, always be ready to give an answer when asked about the hope that you have. Because those things which should come natural to us as Christians are completely opposite 
of the way that those who are in darkness or who are darkness live. So when you and I expose, we're doing first and foremost, and I think there is an order here, first and foremost by our life as we live in light of the gospel, as we live as those who have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his dear love. The rest of verse five, chapter 5 and chapter 6 teach us how to live in this way. But that's not all that is in view with the word expose. Sometimes you have to speak. We've already been told to speak the truth in love. And so there's one thing that we operate with understanding. If I'm going to expose outside of the way that I live, then I'm going to have to speak the truth in love. I like this, these words from S.M. Ball. I've quoted him a few times. Speaking of exposing the unfruitful works of darkness, listen to what he says. The goal is not the self-righteous glory of the saints over against the world. What is he saying? He's saying the goal here is to not just exalt yourself and become involved or steeped into some self-righteous Phariseeism where you say, look at me, and I'm so much better than you because I don't do the things that you do. He goes on to say, the goal is not the self-righteous glory of the saints against the world, but to challenge others also to come into the light through faith in Christ the saint's mission here is not merely moral improvement of the world's behavior, but its wholesale transformation through the gospel as the power of the age to come is unleashed through the Christian's life and speech. I love these words for many reasons. Number one, if we're not careful, most of our exposure is nothing more than self-righteousness in the face of darkness. I don't, you do. I don't do this like you do. Look at me. And we stop short of giving Christ glory. And we stop short of gospel invitation. See that in this paragraph, to expose the unfruitful works of darkness is not just railing and ranting against it. If all we have done in the name of exposure is cry out against the darkness, then we haven't exposed it the way Paul has in mind. All we have done is railed against it, and worse, this usually happens, as I've already said, through some expression of self-righteousness on our part. If we are to expose, as Paul has in view, the unfaithful works of darkness... And it's going to be done through the way that we live and the way that we speak. And it's going to be with great concern to use 
the words that we have been given that pertain to the gospel message to expose is not just to lay bare these unfruitful works, but it's a call to come out of them. It's a call to be converted. Biblical exposure of darkness here, according to Paul, does not say, look how different I am from you and stop there. Rather, it humbly says, look at the difference Christ has made in my life. You need Christ as well. That's exposure. And I think we all, to a man and to a woman, need to hear it because most of our seemed obedience to exposure is just to haphazardly take a wad of truth and throw it into someone's face. All that does is create a mess. But when your life and my life is lived in the light of the gospel and we take this truth that we know and we lovingly and consistently both live and speak Notice what Paul says is the outcome. He says, but all things are exposed. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Now here is a a variance in translation. And thankfully, as as with most Translation differences in the end when you work through it, there is no vital difference. The King James, New King James reads, as I've already read to you, for whatever makes manifest is light. Other translations present it a little differently by saying something along the lines that whatever is manifest then becomes light. There is a transformation. And I think this is depicted in the 14th verse. We'll get there in just a minute. What does light do to darkness? You go into a dark room, you flip on the light switch, and what happens? Darkness is driven away. I think this is what is in view here by Paul in verse 13. Darkness is confronted and exposed by light. Light here representative of the work of the Spirit and the truth of the Spirit, the light of the world himself being Christ who is in us. Our responsibility in exposure is to shine the light on anything that is dark. And in that we expose it. We make it manifest for what it is in hopes that through that exposure, Christ in his miraculous working power will perform in that life the same thing he's performed in our life, that darkness will be converted now to light. And that takes us down to the 14th verse. Whether this is a a reference to Isaiah 61 or some hymn that was sung in the early church, 
I don't know. I tend to, to go to the first because it says, therefore he says. And usually in Scripture when you read that, there is a quotation or at least an allusion. Certainly this is an allusion to Isaiah 61 and verse 1. Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This is the end goal of exposure. The end goal of exposure is not to exalt yourself and the truth that you know. The end goal of exposure is not to exalt yourself in some type of self-righteous Phariseeism. The end goal of exposure is conversion. The end goal of, conver of exposure is conversion. So let's play this out in an everyday scenario. You have someone in your life that is practicing the unfruitful works of darkness, which makes them an object of the wrath of God that is coming upon the sons of disobedience. The great desire of your heart should not just be to expose the filth that they live in, the great desire of your heart should be to see them come to Christ. To see them come out of this realm of the sons of disobedience into the realm of the, of the sons of the kingdom, of the sons of God. So verse 14 then represents really what I think is a call, a gospel call. Now, if you read many commentators on this verse, you're going to see two different ways that it's applied. And I think both are in play, really. Some would say, well, Paul is speaking here to believers who have given themselves to some degree in fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And he is bringing this quotation out of Isaiah or or this first verse of what may be a Christian hymn in the first century Christianity, and he is calling them to awake to it, to realize what they have done. But most, and here I would find most agreement, this is a call to the unconverted. Awake, you who sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, don't forget that verse 14 begins by saying, this is what he says. I cannot of my own strength, nor can you, look to one who is lost and tell them to operate some power within their life to awake from sleep and rise from the dead. But if he says it, if he says it, then what he requires, he gives grace to perform. I can't help but think of these verses in relation to Christ standing outside of Lazarus' tomb. All he said there was to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. But can you see maybe in your own heart and mind in parenthesis these words attached to that? Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead. And I, the Christ, will give you light. Now, if he says that, 
it'll happen. What's interesting here in this paragraph is the way that he says it. Or the instrument that he uses to say it. First of all, it's going to be the life of a Christian walking in light, exposing while at the same time avoiding having no fellowship with the works of darkness. Making manifest everything that is in the darkness by the way they live and the words that they say and all of it is funneled down to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think Paul would say, don't think you have exposed anything if you haven't preached the gospel. You haven't exposed anything if you haven't brought the light of the world into the conversation. All you've done is stirred up a dust storm and offered no remedy for it. So the Christian's responsibility is a very delicate one, and it is to, through the way you live and the words you speak, to stir up the dust storm, so to speak, by speaking truth in love, but to always, always bring the remedy of the gospel into the conversation. And to say something like this, the Christ that is shown in my heart will shine in yours. Give hope. Give those who are mired and lost in darkness the hope of Jesus Christ. Don't just rail against them. That's easy. It's easy to rant and rail against the unfruitful works of darkness. It's much more difficult to lovingly speak truth into that situation, into that person, and tell them they need Christ. Because he's their only hope. Mean Mean, self-directed, self-righteous exposure does nothing for those in darkness but harden them against the gospel. On the other hand, a Christian whose life is producing goodness, righteousness, in truth, their great desire and quest is to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. They are disciplining themselves to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. How powerful is that in the life of one who is unconverted? This seems to be the gospel way. Let me say just one more thing. Regarding verse 11. No fellowship. Sometimes people will get in their minds that a little fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness is okay or even necessary 
to expose it. Let's just let the scripture speak plainly to that. No fellowship. The unfruitful works of darkness cannot be sanctified. So what is our responsibility in relationship? First, avoid. Do not participate. Have nothing in common. Secondly, expose. How? By the way you live in light of Christ's gospel and then by the preaching of Christ's gospel. I've known Christians who glory in this verse and they consider themselves the exposers. Always wanting to rail against the darkness but not very often bringing in the message of the gospel that is hope. So in our exposing let us gospel. Let us be preachers of good news and hope. Calling those who are asleep to come to Christ. And then here is the miraculous thing. He can do for them what he has done for us. And this is where we began. Colossians 1.13 In grace and mercy reaching down into your life, giving you a new heart, picking you up in hands of grace, as it were, carrying you over and putting you down into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That's the power of Christ. May He teach us more and more how to be used of Him in this way. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these words and with great fear and trembling, we consider this responsibility of, uh, of ours as Christians toward the unfruitful works of darkness. Lord, help us to be obedient to both of these things, to have no fellowship with them, to not partake in the works. Help us to see the works and the workers as distinct. Give us grace to expose through the way that we live and the words that we speak. Help us to point people to Jesus Christ under your praise and glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.